coming to you from the last video store in the universe. It's Binge Movies episode 163. I'm Jason. This is the show that ranks, eliminates movies to determine which one is most worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank oddball movies of the 90s. I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, the PhD of polymathery, the man who discovered Jamiroquai, Dr. D, David Rosen, Lord and creator of Piecing Together, the ultimate shiller plugger. Uh, this guy finds a way to get his own shit over on multiple social media platforms any way he possibly can. King of Promotions, how are you, sir? I am great. I am excited to talk to you about a bunch of really freaking weird movies. So I thought about introducing this new segment in the show, and I'm not going to do it because I can't quite figure it out, but I'm going to say what it was going to be, and you're going to be the first one mm-hmm. I'm going to do it to. It was at the end of the okay. show. I was really going to do this to like like multiple time guests, and when I said, okay, get your plugs in, as soon as you started talking, I was going to play like really loud music. And be like a hype man and be like, yeah, yeah, fuck him up, David. Fuck him up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. Burr, 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 burr. But it'd be so loud. Nobody could hear your plug. That's what the bit was going to yeah. be. That's fine. Yeah. Just throw me in the show notes. But I'm then kidding. I thought that, that somebody eventually is going to get offended. Because <laughs> people got brittle spirits these days, David. You know that? It's true. It, it's really true. I, I I tweeted about Brendan Fraser the other day, and I got some uh, pretty mad, mad tweets from you. got to be careful, because uh, in the day we live in, somebody yeah. might show up at your house and be like, what'd you say? What'd you say about him? Yeah. yeah. I try to be really positive, too. Like, this was a positive yeah. tweet, and people still got mad. But, uh, yeah, I try to I try to put out a positive thing on, on social You do, media, mostly. You know? I would it's, say that's true. Yeah. And people are still, their, yeah. their spirits are so weak now, you see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are you technically a millennial mm-hmm. or are you Gen X? You're the tail end of Gen X. I, I like to claim Gen X, but I mean, my wife says I'm a millennial. I, I disagree. Is your um, wife younger just or Just because I don't want to. I don't want to be. She's younger than me. She's younger by three years. Okay. So then I would listen to her. Yeah. So you're a very, <laughs> very aged, I mean, geriatric I'm, millennial. I'm the oldest millennial <laughs> ever basically yeah it's yeah. me and then everyone the else oldest yeah. millennial you know how um yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my god it was mel brooks and what's his face they had the ten thousand year old man oh yeah right. yeah yeah uh, Carl, Carl Reiner, Carl yeah Reiner. you're the ten thousand year old millennial you're the world's eldest <laughs> <Yeah>. millennial <laughs> new podcast there's a bit Let's in there it. somewhere that, that honestly <laughs> that feels very much it doesn't make any sense but that feels very like 1990s snl where it's like, yeah. <laughs> and now David Rosen, the world's oldest millennial, <laughs> and, and there's yeah. nothing remarkable about you. You're just I'm, yeah. I'm really good at computers, <laughs> but I don't understand TikTok. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> you're just you're just a guy who just happens to be the oldest, t- technically the oldest millennial. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the '90s, back when people, well, let me ask you a question before I get into what I think my opinion is. Were people I don't want to say better in the nineties, but were the, were people made of stronger stock in the nineties? Do you think? Mm, I kind of do think so. And, and it, it's hard because like 
there's so much more opportunity now to do things, yeah. but like everybody gets a chance to do things and then it's all kind of just watered down and like nobody really knows what to like. You're describing podcasting. Knows- yeah sure absolutely it's 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 a tough thing we could easily do an hour just on this topic but yeah i I do think that like generally speaking you're probably right the sweet spot for podcasting was that that rough era where it was still cost prohibitive for most people you had to really want to do it to do it yeah well that's and the audience the audience was there and it hadn't yet been commercialized it's been just a little bit commercialized it gotten just a little bit cheaper to do it, and there was a there was like a eighteen month window, and if you did not find success at eighteen month window, it's over. You're never going to find an audience. You're done. This medium yeah, is dead. Absolutely, podcasting is dead. Yeah, you and I yeah. are hanging on to nothing. <laughs> yeah, we got in right at that that perfect moment where we can be not entirely successful, but not abject uh, failures. Still continue to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, not exactly. complete abject failures, but not remotely mm-hmm. successful. Yeah. <laughs> right exactly yeah, yeah. we're killing um, it you know the main thing i think about of the 90s and i so sometimes you post some of the music you like and some of the music you make and i think to myself remember and and you used to work in the music industry like on the management kind of side promotion side finding talent so forth and so on for a major label and remember when people used to care about selling out Remember that was a yeah. thing where it's like, nah, man, I don't want to sign that record deal. I don't want to be in no commercials, man. I don't want to be in any mainstream yeah. movies. I want to stay independent. That was a thing for, I don't know, a hot second where it's like, you, I mean, and if you did, right, if a band or actor or celebrity or athlete or whatever, if they transitioned to and, and got that sellout status, it had the potential to completely and utterly ruin their career. Yeah, absolutely. And now everybody's entire goal is to be an influencer. That, like, isn't that, that the strangest like, turn our society has taken? Yeah, that's like the that's goal number one. That's like get paid by major brands to do the stuff that we all used to just like constantly toil away at for nothing, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> with no prospects whatsoever. Now, now there's still no prospects, but like those few people that get it and actually get to sell out, we're like envious of them. The success, success is now labeled not by what you can create, but what you can get sponsored. Yeah. It doesn't really matter yeah, what absolutely. I'm making as long as I can get somebody to pay for it. And, 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 it, the ends justify the means, and so yeah. you know. I think that we, this is a this is a a threshold moment for us as civilization. For us, very very elderly millennials, I think mm. we're crossing over into boomer territory. I think that we we're reaching <laughs> that point where it's like kids these days, they're sellouts. Mm. They don't care. They don't have our values. They don't think like us. They don't dress like us. That's actually not true. They dress like us. I yeah. <laughs> just just like me in 1997 and I'm sick of it god damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We're we're sick of it. We're tired of it. You know? I remember when I, I was a pubescent boy in the mid 90s when most of these movies came out and we were all wearing, you know, Black Sabbath t-shirts, Led Zeppelin t-shirts, Rolling Stone t-shirts and it was like we listened to that music but it obviously was not the music of our generation. And now I'm seeing mm-hmm. people rolling around in like Limp Biscuit t-shirts and, mm-hmm. and corn t-shirts and Marilyn Manson t-shirts and all this sort of stuff is starting to come back. It has been back for a while. 
And like, I saw somebody the other day wearing a Goo Goo doll shirt. And I was like, you're 12. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like art, they've, they've gone I, back I, and are like, oh man, ever heard of this amazing band? It's called the Goo Goo Dolls. Nothing against Goo Goo I, Dolls. I've never I'm thought like, about this fuck? before. Are there Drake shirts? Are there Dua Lipa shirts? Like, what? what, what there are a lot what, of bootleg. Like a lot of people make their own shirts because now with graphic design, somebody just like makes oh, their own yeah, shirt. Everybody and can up just on do a, anything, like a, Etsy or something, and sells it, and that's what kids buy. Because the yeah. official merch is usually pretty shitty and way overpriced. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah, like $40 for yeah. a freaking Jay-Z Like Taylor Swift shirt. is the worst yeah. merch in the game, even her even her mm-hmm. cult. And it is a cult. And I don't shame you. If you mm-hmm. want to be a part of a cult, be a part of a cult. I like to consider this show a cult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, they, they, they'll tell you, like most of them will tell you, man, these shirts aren't any good. It's just that we've yeah. come a long yeah. way I, since the 90s. It doesn't feel that long ago because we're boomers now. Or whatever the, the equivalent yeah. is for us. I guess it's elderly millennials. But the world is completely different. Yeah. It is. And it absolutely Does that is. make you sad inside? Of course. Absolutely. I, I'm I'm an old guy. That's what old people are. They're sad inside at all times. <laughs> are sad so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did these here? movies fill you with temporary joy? Or were you like, Jason, what the fuck? <laughs> I I will tell you one of them filled me with pure joy the other ones were a mix of what the fuck to pr- pretty damn fun yeah. so yeah we, just spoiler alert for where i'm going once we start writing these things. all right well look at my watch i think it's about that time without much further ado it's time to rank some of the oddest movies does it live up to the name overall oddball movie yeah these are these are all insane. You really picked a really wild five movies. I got to say, here we go with a movie that actually came out in 1989 by came out. I mean, it didn't, it was made, it was meant to come out, but it wasn't released until October of 1990. So it technically counts. I'm talking about the classic, you know, it. you love it. Thomas R. Berman's meet the hollow heads. Henry Hollowhead is a daddy dude Working all shift just to pump him the food United Umbilical is where he works The best meter reader this part of Earth The Hollowheads An average tubular family They've pumped along happily for years Until Yes dear, dinner But but you'll never guess who My new boss My promotion is just out of bed Oh Henry, that's wonderful news After this shift Oh, honey. Miriam! Honey, we're home! Delightful domicile, Hollowhead. The day Henry Hollowhead's boss came to dinner, the waste really got ducted through the vent spot. Don't think of me as your husband's boss. Think of me as a very close friend. Uh, Meet the Hollowheads currently has a not available on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it was directed by Thomas R. Berman, <laughs> written by Thomas R. Berman and Lisa Morton. This is the triumphant return of Bobcat Goldthwait, last seen in the Police Academy series. Triumphant return of John Glover, last seen in The Mouth of Madness. Triumphant return of Juliette Lewis, last seen from Dust Till Dawn. Triumphant return of Joshua John Miller, last seen in Near Dark. Triumphant return of Anne Ramsey, last seen in Deadly Friend, when her head gets exploded. <laughs> 
I was you on, were on that, that one. one too. <laughs> <laughs> it was officially released January 1989 to absolutely nowhere, and it got a home video release October of 1990. And a budget of not available, it has a box office of not available. Tonight at eight, survival is on the menu when a wacky family invites Pa's rapey boss from the slime tubery over for dinner. Yeah, th- this one, holy shit, this one was really weird. <laughs> This was basically a live action Hanna-Barbera cartoon. And it, I mean, it kicks off right off the bat with like the worst rap song you've ever heard. And (laughs) there's a worse one. There's a worse one. It's in Waxworks too. It's in Waxworks too. Oh, really? (laughs) I got, I got it. I got to hear that. This was bad though. One of the things I just want to throw this out there right up front though. One of the things that I loved about this movie, the constant, like, pipe sounds in the background (laughs) the sound design of this movie was driving me insane while i was watching it okay no one knows what the hell this movie is so you're like why what does he mean pipe sounds in a nondescript presumably future different planet we're not ever really sure humanoid like civilization That is a live action Hanna-Barbera cartoon. It's sort of like the Flintstones, but instead of like the dinosaurs being the household contraption, it's like slime monsters and worms and shit and bugs. Yeah. Yeah. And everything comes around by tubing throughout. Everything Everything is a tube. The phone is a tube. The oven Uh is a tube. The, 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 the post office is a tube. They live in a, just a world of nothing but pipes and tubes. And it looks yeah. also, it's like kind of like the Jetsons. And I was just like, if the Jetsons yeah. and Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse and Nickelodeon mm-hmm. all like crashed into it, it, it's sort of like a little bit of that. What's like, what's that design? Is it like new Memphis or something like that? Where it's like all circles and, I don't know. and pyramids and weird <laughs> shit. There is yeah. this moment in the nineties, late eighties, early nineties, where like, this was a particular sort of like weirdo, art culture aesthetic that they would get like art school weirdos to work on close to mainstream projects and like, Oh, this person's a production designer at Nickelodeon. And it's just like, everything's gonna look like this now. And it's like, Oh, this person's making this like this weird little movie and everything's gonna look like like this. Like for a while, every fucking thing in the world looked like this. It's sort Mm -hmm. of like a a perverted 1950s. Yeah, yeah, I can but see that. But the 50s never, actually, yeah. if you look back at the 50s, no. they never look like this. Never, absolutely not. And yeah, I, th- I think Nickelodeon's a good, like, example of something where everything kind of had that vibe of, you know, th- this is what things used to look like, but it's actually just really weird, and it's not anything like what things used to look like. One one thing that I, I had noted down that this reminded me of, of the early 90s, like, commercials for, like, kids' yes and and stuff like that like like zach's remember zach's the like the lego like thing you know um zach yeah he's a lego maniac oh yeah hell yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and it was always like it looks like those commercials like the camera was always like up the nose of the adults and the the Mm -hmm. adults faces were like huge and it was but they were all dressed like it was the 50s it was all like the stereotypical like mom and dad from the 50s moms wearing pearls and a dress like with a vacuum and like high heels and again, that's like not really what that era was, but but by the eighties, we had collectively decided, at least our parents had, that this is what their childhood was. In the same way that when we yeah. represent the eighties in our media and culture, it's not actually what the eighties was, 
it's all neon yeah, and, and like bright colors. That was like part of it, but it certainly wasn't the it. It was like a lot of like crime and cigarettes and diesel engines and <laughs> manual transmission, yeah. wood paneling, yeah, paneling. You know, most people weren't living yeah. in like, I don't know, the Playboy Playhouse or, or, or you know, whatever. So, yeah. <clears throat> but yes, it, this is, it's so strange. <sighs> I, there's so much to cover with this movie. So, Somehow, I discovered the production diary of this film <laughs> that the co-writer Lisa Morton did day by day from pre-production to post-production to release the film Diaries. And this is what she wrote in her diary. The original script, this was like her like an introduction to, she did like an update like about 15 years ago where she was like, oh, well, this is like looking back on it, like this is a piece of the story or whatever. So the original script differed radically from what was originally called Life on the Edge, which is the original name of Meet the Hollowheads. Right, I did see that. Rather than yeah. poking fun at just 50s sitcom mystique, the early draft attempted a sort of pastiche parody of the last four decades of television. Now, I want you to listen to this and see what this is reminiscent of. <laughs> the first half of the script was what we eventually expanded to be the entire film. The second half would have followed the two teens, Bud and Cindy, to their party, and it would become like a Mondo weirdo. That's maybe the good word for it. Mondo weirdo. Yeah, yeah sure. Mon, like this whole style. Mondo weirdo take off on 80s teen exploitation comedies. And then we'd get a dash of like 60s drug culture thrown in for fun. Okay, so it was really like only the, this is her, I'm just reading it as is. Okay, so it was really only like three of the last four decades. There was nothing in, in the 70s worth satirizing, is what she said. Mm. I'm thinking about that. I'm like, okay, so if they're just going to satirize like three or four decades of television, that sounds awfully familiar to a show called WandaVision, that we're just going to sort of flip through style to style to style. Well, mm. Come to find out, the little kid in this movie is... Matt Shakeman, he plays Billy, like kind of the main mm. character. He is scheduled to be the director for the MCU Fantastic Four. He was the lead creative for WandaVision. He is a director for shows like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Succession, The Boys, and was one of the producers on Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. There's almost no chance that somehow this movie didn't embed itself in his brain and he regurgitated yeah. it, maybe unknowingly, as WandaVision. Right? Wow, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you got to think, too, like, honestly, like, I, I, whatever you think of this movie, it is something that if you were a kid when you were making it, like, you've got to look back on this fondly. Like, you've got to look back on it as, like, this this insane experience that you were a part of, and... I don't know. I think I would love this movie if I was this guy, Matt Shane. Fondly or or he was traumatized, one or the other. I'm not yeah, exactly one sure. One or the other, sure. Because it's it's yeah. both I don't know. It's in that lineage of what we talked about, this lineage of reinterpreting 1950s American domesticity into like a gross out nightmare. Nightmare. And I don't know. I guess maybe it's Mondo Weirdo is the art style we would call it. I'm not sure. But this is the sort of movie where a mom says to the daughter without any explanation to the audience, Connie, don't you think you're a little young to start using softening jelly? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it said, not like an 80s sitcom, just like you're watching Leave It to Beaver or something. 
It's just yeah. like you're watching the Jetsons and like they're pulling Judy aside and Judy wants to go on a date to the dance and the parents don't like who she's going to take to the dance. That's exactly what it's mm-hmm. like. And then, and then like who decides like, okay, we're going to make a fifties satire sitcom sort of spoofy kind of a thing. Or we're going to make it entirely about pipes and slime and wacky contraptions. Yeah. I, that's very strange. Yeah. It's all super strange. It's it's also played pretty damn straight. Yes, I mean, very some, earnest. sometimes it gets, yeah, sometimes it gets goofy, but it's also like most of the time, like played directly as the kind of like sitcom that, that it, it is. It's just super, super weird. At the They're same trying time. to play, and John Glover's great at this because he's got that like such a large expressive face and that pointy chin. And so he look, he's, he's like, he reminds me of like, what's that group has like the church of Bob or whatever with the guy who smokes the pipe or whatever. He looks like that. He's got that very pronounced chin. And so he, when he's playing this, like I do willing to do anything is the movie essentially is a sitcom plot that they actually repurpose in one division, which is his new boss at the slime factory. He, he, gets invites him over to dinner to try to make an impression because he wants a promotion and a raise and then the wife is like oh no the children are out of control and i don't have time to make an appropriate dinner and they're gonna be here right after work and oh my god and then everything else about it is absolutely fucking disturbed and bizarre and strange and it looks like a weird 50s show via the 80s and there's like they're dicing up worms out of tubes and making food out of it. <laughs> the food is so slime and it's fuck so and yuck and it's like they're like you said it's like they're eating gack. <laughs> yeah, imagine all this stuff Nickelodeon tried to sell you in the nineties of like, oh, it's plum, yeah. but that's what they're eating. Yeah, that's their food. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's funny too, like the plot that you mentioned just now. That that's a thirty minute TV show plot. Correct. Like, there's no way that could be an hour and a half movie. Like, well, it, no it, they made it. An hour and a half film <laughs> they did it because the twist yeah. is after we get through, you know, twenty thirty minutes of introducing the family and the wacky world of this. And Am Ramsey is in the underground where the tubes sometimes get clogged, and it just gets it's really fucking strange. Then the boss shows up and the boss goes from being like a typical schmarmy 1950s TV show boss to like, and the way that they do it is it's very like he slowly ramps up. And so it's like, he's like roughhousing with the kid and he's like, Oh, I'm just joking, junior. I'm just joking with you. But he's like really roughhousing him. So you're watching him going, he just tried to strangle that kid. And then (laughs) it goes on and on. For whatever reason, he's trying to murder Billy. He wants to kill the, mm-hmm. this youngest child, and he's actively trying to do it at the dinner party. And he's trying to, there's no other way to say it, rape the wife. It's pure rape, rapiness. Like, it's it's horrendous. Which, like, is kind of, like, there would be the thing where, like, the boss comes over and he starts flirting with the wife or whatever. This is sort of taking that to, like, its most logical conclusion, which is, Hey, you know all those sitcoms you laughed at? Like they're actually pretty nefarious. Yeah, but the yeah, movie sure. is not a like a moral message movie. The movie is ostensibly a comedy, but I, but at the right. same time, it's, it's very it's earnest. The, the humor comes from them playing it straight, like you know, not not being too over the top. And on that note, I would say Nancy Met, I think is how you would say her name, who has done very little other than this movie, 
who she plays the mom, I think is by far the best part of this movie. I She's agree. fantastic. I I, I, she nails this character, this role perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote down that her and Richard Portnow as Mr. Krabnick, the rapey he's boss. Like are the two he's so creepy. But they are the best actors yeah. in this. Like they really they really get the vibe that this thing is going for and they they just nail it. So then to extend it to your point, because it is a 30 minute plot, we sort of get the 30 minute minute plot stretched out. They only get this like he's trying to murder and rape the family. <laughs> and then it turns into the family is trying to murder him. <laughs> Yeah. And then it turns into they think they've murdered him and they're trying to get away with his murder. Mm. And then it just kind of ends eventually. But yeah, pretty for much. some reason their grandpa lives in like the underground of the, the, the dark place of the tubes and they go feed him slop down there. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's creepy Somebody too. better go feed Jeez. grandpa. And it's like they <laughs> have to go into the bowels of wherever they are. And there's this whole thing about, they live on the literal like edge of the planet. And Mm -hmm. if, and if you go off of the edge of the planet, like you will just go off into space or you'll disappear into this cavernous void of garbage. And, and like some boy that allegedly happened to him. And then they have this weird, like man, rat dog that has parasites all over it that they let in the house and they, kids want to get the parasites to do something with them and it's just a it's a guy like in a weird pony play suit yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. right was his name spike spike too, yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah 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 don't let spike yeah. in the house Which, you know he's got that parasitic yeah. infection and then he's just like of got like course. postules and stuff he's just like oh my god <laughs> is this good <laughs> This is one of those movies where intention is so important in whether or not something is good. And I, I genuinely just don't know because this is such like a mystery of a movie that like I hadn't heard anything about. I, I actually, I liked it. You know, I liked it because of how weird it was. It was also the first one I watched from our list. And so I was like, just kind of like, oh shit. Okay. We're, we're going, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm in here, you know, I could think of a better Um, person to do this episode though. Cause you like weird shit. I do. I do. Yeah. I do like the weird. Is this the inspiration for the super Mario brothers movie? The first one. (laughs) Yeah. there's there's a weird similarity of like i was watching this i was like why there's like i've never seen anything like this but i've seen other things kind of like it and we kind of touched on that but I'm like there's another yeah. movie this sort of reminds me of and then it like then when they got to ann ramsey and this is like when her disease because she had this disease where like her tongue was calcifying which is why she sounds so weird in her later movies and they would kind of play that to comedic effect because she would just like scream and you could barely understand what she, but she's dubbed in this movie. Like they have to put subtitles on oh, her yeah, yeah. because you can't understand her. And like the movie has its own language. Like, like, like the way that the kids make fun of each other, like, you know, like it, it's almost like kind of like Pete and Pete, you know, where they would have like weird mm. put downs for each other and like weird terminology. It's not of our world, but you could kind of understand what it meant, but they don't bother explaining to yeah. it at all. And it was like, catch you later, pipe slime. <laughs> like all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and you're like, the, the movie makes no effort to really make you comfortable with this world and be like, Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I'm like, what the fuck does this remind me of? And she's down there in like Gestapo gear talking about, gonna feed these kids to some weird guy that lives in the pipes and i'm like what the fuck i'm like 
this is Mario. This is that weird ass Super Mario movie. Somebody was like, you know, that's a good. I played Mario. That's a good that's the best way to adapt that. Has anybody ever seen Meet the Hollowheads? I feel like if we made a spiritual sequel to Meet the Hollowheads, and we called that Super Mario, I feel like that would just go together. Now I will I will take that comparison and raise you that I think over half of the five movies we're about to talk about could be compared to the Super Mario Brothers. Movie. Is that a good thing? So, for a <laughs> uh, I don't know. I do not. Know. All right. So when it comes to Life on the Edge, aka Meet the Hollowheads, what would you give this at a ten? Oh, I'm going six. I'm going sick. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you that this has only happened maybe two or three other times since I've done mm-hmm. this show. I don't know. I don't know that I can give this one a score. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you, oh, so wow. it's like, I, I don't, how do you grade something like this? It seems so, it feels like to your point, it feels like whatever their intention was, it seems like they accomplished it. <laughs> You know what? The fact that Jason isn't rating this, I'm raising it a, a point. I'm going to seven on mine because I was between six and seven, and that just makes me even more excited about this. So it's almost, and I, I didn't hate it. It it does it does kind of run out of steam before. It may be like the ending isn't bad. It's like somewhere in the middle where it's like, oh boy, it just we're, it takes real long time to get that fucking dinner party. Yeah. So for me. I can give you a ranking and then like for me this is like the third of the week but i don't know what the score mm-hmm. is <laughs> right. i can't i can't give you a score i i'll say as long as you're mentioning your ranking this is an easy second place for me easy second place yeah we're gonna wildly wildly diverge it's a good and chance. i think it's gonna happen yeah. right now i'm talking about 1991's the dark backward which currently has a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. We're going to Hollywood! Starring Judd Nelson. My name is Marty Maul. Bill Paxton. It's Gussie Pussy. Wayne Newton. Yes, uh, Jackie Chrome. Lara Flynn Boyle. I love you, Marty Maul. James Kahn. I'm a doctor. Rob Lowe. Dirk Delta. The Dark Backward. We're going to Hollywood and we're going to be big stars. That's my boy! That's my boy! Hollywood. The Dark Backward was written and directed by Adam Rifkin, which is a name I have not heard in a long, long time. It's a triumph return of Judd Nelson, not seen since the days of The Breakfast Club, Bill Paxton from Titanic, Laura Flynn Boyle from Men in Black 2, James Kahn from Alien Nation, Claudia Christian from The Hidden. This film was released July 26, 1991 in an undisclosed budget, and it made $2 million at the box office. A pathetic comedian in a garbage apocalypse develops a third arm on his back instead of material. <laughs> I, I want to hear what you thought of this movie before I get into my, my comments. Two million includes rentals, by the way. And when it was in theaters, very, very limitedly, and it made $28,654 in the theater. Sounds about right. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Is, yeah. This, is this the Joker? Is this the most recent Joker? <laughs> From the <laughs> moment he's in that suit and gets on stage, I was like, wait a minute. This is a fuck, yeah. this is fucking Joker. 
there's the Hell garbage yeah. everywhere. Like it is if you took this movie and King of Comedy and Taxi Driver and mashed it up, I think the hidden secret mm-hmm. sauce of that Joker movie, because everybody saw the Scorsese everywhere, but I think this hidden secret sauce is the dark backward. Judd Nelson yeah, is that fucking guy from Joker. Except for yeah, going weirdo. crazy, he just disappears from his own movie. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I think about this. There is a uh-huh. scene in this movie early on where Judd Nelson is trying to deliver a joke to Laura Flynn Boyle, his his girlfriend at the time. They're living in everybody. This whole thing is like squalor. Everything, everywhere you look is the most disgusting, filthy production design Everything. I have ever seen in my life. It's amazing. They can't make movies that look like this. Anymore. No, they can't. They just, they don't have the money. They just simply can't. I don't, I was like, did they, did they go somewhere this dirty or do they make someplace this dirty? <laughs> There's so yeah. much garbage. They destroyed a small city. There is, right? Yeah. There is so much strewn. <laughs> and when I say garbage, I don't mean like, well, I was litter. I mean, need ankle to need deep seas of garbage yeah. that looks like real garbage it doesn't look like hollywood yeah. garbage it looks filthy and rotted and disgusting and covered yeah. in feces and and piss and shit and everything else and they're just it's, wading yeah. through it and i've never seen bill paxton look filthier in a movie in my life he is disgusting <laughs> and anyway so they're in bed and he's like telling a joke it's a horrible joke. And then it's got, they got a very lame kind of punchline. And then rather than they're like, if it's the normal comedy beat where since you're laying in bed, you would hear, so there's no laugh, you'd hear crickets. And instead mm-hmm. in this movie, you hear a gunshot and a guy caterwaul. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and there is absolutely no reaction from the two people in bed. And then the scene cuts. That is the sort of movie you're getting into. Where it, there is yeah. this like, if Duckman was a fucking movie, it would look like this. It's uh, it, that's a deep, deep cut. But but if you remember Duckman, it was like just this horrendously. This this movie could only be made in the nineties. But Bill oh, yeah. Paxton plays one of the all time idiots in any film I've ever seen. Disgusting, disgusting, <laughs> venial. V, like like he, he he looks like a walking std yeah and he has a he has a orgy he has, he has a gang reverse gangbang with a handful of morbidly obese women who are only on screen for us to look at them and say how de- grotesque they are due to their yeah, obesity yeah. okay different era yeah and they're, and they're not just mm-hmm. obese women they're ugly obese women they have hairs coming out of their moles. They're missing teeth. They're filthy, and they're in lingerie that's four sizes too small, and they're so obese they can barely walk. And you're like, okay. And he couldn't be happier. He could not be happier. <laughs> he thinks he's the most beautiful woman in the world. And we're supposed to look at him as a sicko for liking this, right? Yeah. Then he talks about they're sort of trying to outgross each other as part of their foreplay. And he talks mm-hmm. about how he eats shit for breakfast. And you think it's like a metaphor, like rancid, whatever shit. And da, 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 da. And then he's like, honey, go get my bowl. And then the woman, one of the women like waddles off in the kitchen and comes back with a, with a China dish filled with what is supposed to be in, rotten animal feces. And then we yeah, watch yeah. Bill Paxton. 
After Aliens, this is the early 90s. This man has made films. Yeah, oh, yeah. He yeah. is just covering himself, shoveling shit into his mouth to eat it. And then he's rubbing it on his nipples. And he grabs the some obese women and he puts their faces and he has them lick the shit off of his nipples. And then they got shit yeah. all over their mouths and their teeth are full of shit and they're laughing. And <laughs> that's one of 200 scenes just like that in this movie. My biggest yeah. problem with the film, <laughs> if, you're, if you're still listening, <laughs> is there is no metaphor. It's there's it's very obvious that the movie is like the world is shit. <laughs> Hollywood is shit. Hollywood is a diseased city. We are diseased people. And our and our desire to get to Hollywood and be rich and famous is a form of moral degeneracy and pollution. And so the whole world is sort of a, a literalization of our interior life and desires for fame and fortune. And how yes, fleeting yes. fame is and, and how you don't actually have to be talented. Some freakish thing could happen to you. And in that way, it's sort of prescient to the influencer culture. Okay. So I'll give it mm -hmm. that much. My biggest problem with it is Judd Nelson develops a third arm. And that is the entire inciting incident for this movie. And when, by the time the movie ends and he loses the third arm, he hasn't been in the movie for 40 minutes. <laughs> he just disappears from what is ostensibly his movie. So that we could just watch Bill Paxton giving it his all. And he is. Mm-hmm working boy he's got his working boots on to, for this movie and i don't mean in yeah. a bad way like he's probably to me the only redeeming factor of the film i i hated this movie <laughs> wow. i admired its production design i admired its strangeness i understood what it was trying to say but i i thought it was just a bad imitation of john waters i thought it was i thought it was really trying so hard to be transgressive that it just kind of made it as the kids would say cringe and it went on way too fucking mm. long way too long mm. That's, now i know you love this movie has already seen your letterbox review of it so go ahead <laughs> <laughs> yeah now now that you've painted the picture for the listener uh <laughs> tell us what kind of a sicko all, you all are <laughs> all the shit and the weird you know sex stuff and this is one of my favorite movies i've watched this year um i <laughs> I love brand new class movie. When's this oh, getting in the yeah. Criterion new collection? <laughs> it deserves a spot. Absolutely. No, I I think that this movie is fantastic. I first of all, it, it's hilarious beginning to end. It never stopped making me laugh. Sometimes I was like kind of in awe of how just disgusting yeah. it was, but like. You know, the rest of the time I was laughing, though, Bill Paxton, absolute maniac. You can't, no words so can describe how unhinged he is. Like, you think you've seen him unhinged. You have never seen him yeah. unhinged like he is in this yeah. movie, right? Like, we're not yeah. doing him justice. It's one of the absolutely most bonkers committed performances ever, period. Uh, incredible. Incredible and absolutely. Everyone else is great, too. I love James Caan in this like so much i another thing that like you know you're talking about like what the metaphor might be here yeah. and like i think it is i think there is more to it than just gross out like i think that there is 
a lot of interesting things being said about what we put ourselves through for, you know, some kind of a, a job or a career in the arts and just like how awful that whole process is. I, I thought a lot about Charlie Kaufman's Synecdoche, New York while watching, um, especially, <laughs> I think you're the especially first the James and Conn only doctor. person who's made that connection. <laughs> It might be true. <laughs> yeah. That might be true. Yeah, but I, I saw that. I saw Death to Smooch. Yeah, in this. okay. I'll Freddy agree with you there. Fingered. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. I saw UHF a little bit. The movie that, I, are you a fan of Tape Heads? I watched that for the first time I've this never year, seen too, it. which I love I know it, that. but I've never seen it. I've never oh, been able to so track it good. down. So good. That and this are perfect companion pieces of these people who want to work in entertainment and they have this kind of hanger on who's pushing them, but at the same time is using them. And they're, they're just such perfect companion pieces to one another in that way. And I, I think that you should definitely check that out when you get a chance. But, but yeah, this is a movie though. The thing that I really keep going back to though, you were talking about it in the beginning of describing this is all the trash and the production design of this whole thing. Remarkable. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah, Remarkable. It really is. Like, I don't know how you make a movie like this because it seems like it would be a cheap movie. I mean, it certainly made no money and it's just like (laughs) forgotten, you know, but like this, a movie, like a movie looks like this in 2023, it would have cost like 30, 40, 50 million dollars to look like this, you know? Like, I, I don't know how you make a movie that looks like this. It's it's absolutely nuts. And like I said, James Caan is hilarious. Wayne Newton shows up. Okay, okay, uh, okay. This. So time out, right? <laughs> so Wayne Newton rolls up in the credits, and I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, I already, like, just based on the credits, I'm sort of like, I get what the vibe of this is going to be, you know? Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, it's like Wayne Newton's going to be like this kitschy kind of ironic almost, like, oh, Wayne Newton's here, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And playing yeah. this character, and like the joke is that it's Wayne Newton, and I guess it kind of starts off that way. But nobody told Wayne Newton that because he actually turns in a legitimate performance that's very yeah. strong. And I don't mean that ironically yeah. at all. He's very good in this movie, and and like he you is. wouldn't think it, but it definitely seems like he understands what this material is. Yeah, <laughs> who knows what he's seen in his years? And okay, Hollywood, so I maybe that, so. Let yeah. me let me bring that maybe bring that point around. You're a musician. We were talking before we started recording mm-hmm. about the the circuitous route that your life has taken through careers and whatnot as in trying to promote your own music and get an audience for your music and, and so forth and so on and get opportunities to continue making music. And you you this sort of resonated with you on that level of like, oh, well, trying to make something is kind of gut-wrenching, right? And it, yeah. this goes into that like Absolutely. 90s angst of like, we want to create art, but the only way that you can sustainably create art is through commercialism and commercialism inherently kills art. Right. That was like the whole conundrum that everybody had in the nineties that like we said, nobody gives a shit about anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you think that like what, that's why you connected so deeply with it. And maybe Wayne Newton that you and Wayne have this in common where (laughs) when you put it like Vegas, the Vegas connection, but also just like, like, no yeah. offense to you, right? Because you live in actual mm-hmm. Vegas. You don't live in like tourist Vegas. But yeah. isn't this sort of like spiritually what Las Vegas is? 
the trash, the <laughs> filth, the commercialism, the greediness, yeah. the no more than more than anything, the awful people you have to associate this yourself what I'm saying. with to get opportunities. Yeah, like the that that like I mean like the individuals, yes. the people that you randomly Hideous. meet and then they like tag on, yeah. and you're just like you can't believe you spend time with these people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. Uh, the the way he looks at Bill Paxton, like, oh my God, I, I wrote down like a thousand Bill Paxton lines. I'm not going to like quote them all, but like just some of the shit, the last thing we need is for you to get spine cancer before our big break. Like well, he's blaming him. He's blaming him for potentially having yeah, spine yeah, cancer. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Look what you did to us. You're going to ruin you, you, you blew it. <laughs> unbelievable Uh, just unbelievable stuff yeah this movie is bananas it's also a lot of body horror in this you can like throw in a whole separate genre in there too so yeah i just kept waiting for something more to develop with jed nelson and and maybe like this is also sort of a very 90s mentality which is like well you like an arm grab his back that's it what more do you want you know Mm -hmm. yeah that was almost like me and i almost went like the the boil to be funnier than him and have a voice, you know, where the, where the yeah. boil's funny, but he's not, you know, or like it's a, and then it's yeah. like, that's kind of like uh, how to get ahead in advertising where the advertiser grows a literal head. It gives him out of, mm-hmm. out of a boil and it gives him all these like nefarious ideas and for, and then they work in the corporate marketing world. So maybe that was very close to this. So maybe you wouldn't have wanted to do that because that feels like you're just ripping it off. But, but he, Judd Nelson, Possibly. really fucking disappears on this movie. He kind of does, yeah. I mean, everybody else kind of takes over. They they take what maybe that's the be point. His journey, right. yeah, and they take it over, and and that that's just kind of what happens. Your opportunities get swallowed up, especially once you don't have that gimmick anymore. You know? Yeah, I think that that is the thing with like maybe Wayne Newton and you relate to, which is you see all these people who don't have talent but they have gimmicks. Yeah, and they can write a gimmick yeah. to the to the nth degree, you know. And every podcast is just, "What's my gimmick? I got to get a gimmick. I got to get something to to get people hooked in, you know. And that's going to get them listening to me. And then I'm off to the races, baby. I'm going to that. I'm going to hit the slots at Spotify. Yeah, <laughs> woohoo! <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is sort of it. This one was tough for me because it's like I know what this movie is trying to do, and I am so thoroughly mm. impressed by so much of what it was able to do. And yet the end of it, I still felt like I hated it. I felt like the, the sum was not greater than the parts and it never came together in a satisfying way for me. But talking to you and thinking about Wayne, (laughs) I kind of understand it. You know, like I I think, I think if I had a closer proximity personally to show business, like you have had and have Mm -hmm. Wayne Newton has and Bill Paxton had and Judd Nelson had, then maybe this would speak to me more, but I, I give it a two out of 10. It's not my worst of the week. It's, it's a, mm-hmm. it's my fourth. I can't say okay. it's not yeah. worth checking out though, but it, it, yeah, they, you could not make this movie today. Correct. <laughs> oh God. No. Yeah. We, we didn't even talk about what happens at the trash dump. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> How do we forget yeah. about that? Uh, yeah, what would I don't film even know. Twitter say? <laughs> Oh no. If Timothy Chalamet <laughs> played the Bill Paxton part in a modern version of this uh-huh. and Chalamet does what Bill Paxton does in that garbage dump. 
yeah, I don't know. Like every single person involved in the production would be canceled, but you know, I don't even know. <laughs> I totally for- this is a weird movie. I don't know how I forgot about that. How do you forget something? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's horrifying. It's, absolutely horrifying. It is absolutely yeah. horrifying. Yeah, yeah, two out of ten, number four. What's your score? What's your rank? It's a masterpiece, right? Yeah, absolutely absolutely horrifying. Nine out of ten for me. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> oh like, like you we yeah. should as adults in the real world we should not have to say this fucking shit but i feel like we do which is like a review is not an endorsement <laughs> sure and even like a like giving a movie a high score is not an endorsement of what the characters in that movie do yes which is like i think that we used to know that because like, godfather a masterpiece i don't think anybody was like wow yeah those guys are great <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I want to be just. I want to like, be just like them. Yeah. You got to blow people away and steal their cannolis. Like no, like like mm. we could. We there's a differentiation between what the the morality we want for the world that we actually live in, and the artistic representation of things that are on screen, which are made in such a way, oftentimes to reflect back to us the way the world actually is. And it's there not a. Know. It's not a. We're not blessing this and saying yeah yeah. Goodfellas, yeah, you know the, the 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 romance of Goodfellas is part of the deception, because Scorsese is trying to get us to feel what Henry Hill felt, what he what Scorsese himself felt as a kid. What made the mob so alluring to people? Right, right. If the movie is just like these are bad men and it's just constantly telling you how bad they are, what the fuck would the point be? We would never be able to relate to how by seducing us. We become complicit in the crimes, and then we understand what it's like to be part of the world. I don't know if Adam Rifkin ever got Scorsese level close of getting me to relate to Bill Paxton. I think once he started eating that bowl of shit, I was like, nah. (laughs) Unless that's some kind of a spiritual metaphor. (laughs) Unless that's a metaphor for podcasting and me watching all of these movies is me gorging myself (laughs) 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 on literal bowls of shit. I don't know. Uh, uh, where'd you rank this one? Oh, this is number one for me for these five. For what was the score? Oh, nine what? I gave it a nine. Nine yeah, out of absolutely. ten. You're number one. That means the dark backward is going on to the guest list and we'll continue on the rest <laughs> of the season. Yeah. All right. Well, we weren't on the same page there. God, I hope we're on the same page here. 1992's Cool World, which has a yeah. lower score than the dark backward. Four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's amazing. A new world has been discovered. Welcome to my world. A big world. Around here, everything goes except one thing. A bad world. Noids do not have sex with doodles. A cool world. What a bad, bad. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, July 10th. Cool World was directed by Ralph Bakshi. It was written by Michael Grace, Mark Victor, and Ralph Bakshi. Had a credit on it as well. It's the return of Brad Pitt. <laughs> not seen since Inglorious Bastards. And Kim Basinger, last scene in, I don't even remember what, but she was in something. It was released July 10th, 1992, on a budget of $28 million in 1992 Hollywood monies. That's like $100 million movie. It made $14.1 million. Ralph Bakshi really wants to fuck cartoons, and he's going to tell you all about it. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that all this comes down to is 
Th- that's the this whole guy movie, really 100%. has made I don't know yeah. a dozen movies where he's like, what if what if you could fuck a cartoon? That's <laughs> yeah. So you got is like yeah, that's all I got. I yeah. really want to fuck cartoons. And then they made Roger yeah. Rabbit. Now everybody wants to fuck cartoons, so I can finally get a bunch of money for one of these movies. That's all this is. Is this guy made a bunch of perverted shit? And yes, he made the Lord of the Rings as well, but he also made a bunch of perverted shit. <laughs> yeah. And then Roger Rabbit was a huge hit. And he conned somebody at a major studio to be like, I got a summer blockbuster. (laughs) Yeah. Have you seen Jessica rabbit? I have a movie. A cartoonist Uh, wants to travel into the world. He created to fuck his creation coming this summer. David, you know, this we're old men. Okay. Again, scream at the clouds, summer blockbuster real estate. Mm-hmm. used to mean something when a oh, major yeah. studio put a movie out in the first or second week of July, they were mm. like, this is our whole year. Our whole year. Yeah. Is right on this one movie. This is it. There yeah. was no big Absolutely. release in January, February, March, April. Hell, there weren't even that many in May. Summer really started after Memorial day, first of June in theaters and ran until, you know, roughly like labor day. And yeah. June and July were the key for that 4th of July weekend, somewhere around there. That was that key weekend. This is the summer of 1992. Limited space. And they're like, we're going to put a shit ton of money behind all people, Bakshi. And it's all going to be about him wanting to fuck his cartoons. And they marketed the shit out of it, too. This thing like, was everywhere. I'll, you would have thought this was, was Batman It was Returns. everywhere. This was everywhere. Yeah, Absolutely. And I, I'll just say, I had never seen it until now. God bless um, you. It is one of those movies that I just never got around to. But, like, if you were to ask me to just start naming, like, a hundred movies I could think of, it would be on the yes. list. Like, this is one of, like, the big movies of the 90s, as far as I was concerned. No, 100%. We, I, I remember this, this, this marketing was absolutely ubiquitous. It, and I remember, I think they got in trouble because they were airing commercials for Cool World during, like, like afternoon cartoons. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. And maybe that was just a lo- local scandal, but I don't think so. It got into that ad rotation and somebody was not paying the fuck attention. and was like, Oh, well, it's animated, whatever. Yeah. This can run at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. So you, we were coming home from school and we were getting 30 second TV spots for fucking cool world. And it had mm-hmm. Kim Basinger, who was from Batman just a few years previous, and they even marketers like, oh, Kim Basinger for Batman. And she's like in this animated movie and she's like being sexy and it's kind of like Roger Rabbit. And I can tell you that my group of male friends were so horny for Holly. We had, I remember full conversations near word for word around the swing set about her boobs in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Because there, you have to remember, there is no internet. Short of finding a dirty magazine in your older brother's sock drawer or underneath his mattress or some some dirty magazine stash that a weirdo put in the woods, which we all have experience yeah. of. Every male of a certain age found a porno in the woods. Who put those right, pornos man. there? We don't know, but they were in every wooded area. There was like yeah. there was like a porno Santa Claus who just went from yes. wooded area to wooded area. It was like hustler, penthouse, even worse shit. So it was just like, oh here, what? Because we had no internet, because you just had to stumble upon like sexual stuff, 
if you were like 12, 13 years old, there's a, there's a cartoon that is this overtly sexual. And there's a very sensual commercial that's airing in between gummy bears and, and ducktails. You're going to want to hey, see dude. this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you're at that precipice of puberty, this all of a sudden is like, oh, this is very interesting to me. Absolutely. And there was major pushback against this movie. There was parents, parents groups saying it was like basically marketing pornography to children. And it was originally intended to be like a hard R movie. It, I bet. it has been, yeah. ed- it was edited and scaled back. So I think it's actually a f- technically PG 13, maybe R, but it's definitely not hard R. There's no explicit real nudity, really, or even not even cartoon nudity, really. So yeah. it just kind of ends up becoming this, the filthiest PG 13 movie ever made. You know, I don't, I don't know how, well, let me pause there. I'll come back around to my final thoughts on what I think about the movie. That's the Mm -hmm. context. Now you're watching as a grown man, not as a perverted 12 year old in the nineties. Sure. It's a grown man in the new millennium. What'd you think of cool world? I thought it was an absolute mess, but I I thought it was, an interesting mess. There are certain elements of it that I liked, you know, even though the, the, the animation doesn't, you know, quite hold up like, you know, some other things that try to do this, this style, it it was still cool to see. And I had forgotten that Brad Pitt was in this. So it was interesting to see, you know, Brad Pitt in a role like this, which is just so kind of different. My favorite thing about it was the soundtrack. There's a lot of my life with the thrill kill cult on here, which are, one of the groups that were really influential to me getting into making music. So that music was awesome. And uh, there's a bunch of other great groups on here as well. The whole thing is just so messy though. Like it, it bounces around nonstop. It was really hard to stay engaged with the story or anything that was really happening. No, no idea. Yeah. It's so all over the place. So scattered and just unfocused that it it just made it a chore. It is a chore. And the thing I noticed is right. Okay. We start in the past and Brad Pitt is coming home from the war and he's bought a motorcycle or something. And he was mom's bought a motorcycle and he's like, I'm home from the war, ma hop on. We're going to go. I'm going to take my mom for a ride. And then, you know, that all looks fine. It all looks pretty good. And I'm like, oh, that's maybe better than I remember. Because I haven't seen it in maybe about 10 mm-hmm. years. And and I've never liked it at all. I've never like I don't think this yeah. movie is worth a damn. I, I never have. And no. But then like essentially they get killed and he gets he's dying at the same time, Toontown, more or less. The cool world, yeah, which is sure. Toontown basically is doing an experiment to be able to punch holes in other universes. And rather than like, let him die, this doctor sees him a voice by the marsh, Phil marsh and, and zooms him over in a cartoon world. And so he's still human. He's a humanoid, AKA annoyed, but he's living in cool world or whatever. And okay. You're thinking we're using this incident to explain to us the rules of human, the world, human world versus the tune world. And essentially it's like alternate universes. It's like kind of what we yeah. see with like spider verse now where it's not playing as if, yeah. Hey, this world's fiction and then, or it's, or like Roger rabbit where, Hey, just take that street over there and you're in Toontown. It's like, no, we're in parallel worlds. This world just so happens to be animated to you, but yeah. we're real people to us kind of a thing. It's like, okay, all right, that kind of makes sense. 
And so you think, okay. It's very Matrix. Yeah, also, yeah. And in, in its ver- version of multiple universes. Right. And so you're kind of thinking that, like, Brad Pitt will be your main character. And then, because we're kind of, through him, introduced, like, the, the lay of the land and what the world's going to be. Then we just fade away from him. And I don't remember if we focus immediately on Holly. I think we do. I think we kind of get into her story and kind of what she wants to be. And so you're like, okay, well, maybe she's the main character or maybe she's the main villain. Okay, we got it. We've got our protagonist and our maybe our antagonist. Okay, great. Interesting. And then, like, Gabriel Byrne just shows up. Just there and all just of a sudden. In yeah. prison with a drafting table in his prison cell. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, why is he allowed to have a drafting table? And all of this, these art supplies in this prison cell, who is he? What the fuck is going on? That he's just... He's Ralph Bakshi. That's well, then he he's is. just snatched so. into the Toon world when his drawing of Holly is like, don't you want to fuck me, baby? Don't you want to fuck me? Mm-hmm. Come on on to Toontown. Come fuck me, baby. And then, then he's just in Toontown, and you're just like, what? He's like, I created you. And they're like, oh, he's a delusional. He thinks he created the cool world. And then there's like this the machine isn't taking him to cool world. His dreams are, and his subconscious Mm. is connected to cool world. And so he ended up making a comic book series off of cool world for adults. It's the most popular comic book series and everybody knows him, but he's in prison. It is a lot like the matrix. Now that I think about it, the last, yeah, but he's (laughs) he's in prison (laughs) and and then you're just like, that's 10 minutes into this movie. It just starts falling apart. Every (laughs) seam comes undone. And it never comes back together. It never comes back together. Yeah. It just gets messier and messier. The integration between some really early digital hand-drawn animation. Bakshi, there's so much animation in this movie. Bakshi didn't do all of it himself. So he hired like interns to do some of it. You can tell. Like at certain scenes, like take a Roger Rabbit scene, David, where it's very clear they thought out like every gag in the cor- every corner of the frame. Even it's even happening in the background. Yeah. And they've really thought through the interactions between, you know, Bob Hoskins and Roger or Jessica Rabbit or whoever. And, you know, it's, they've, they really put the, the weasels and there's really, you know, there's the whole thing is you can tell has been crafted. This yeah. is a movie where they're standing at times in front of what appear to be cardboard sets. Yeah. And their eye lines are not meeting at all. And then yeah. random hand drawn <laughs> cartoon images just appear over top of them that are not yeah. in the world that they're in or the, the plane of <laughs> physics. Yeah. They're not even trying to match even, it And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> and then there's only like five seconds of it. They just loop it and loop it and loop it and loop it. And it just stops. And there's yeah. dialogue the entire time. And you're like, what was that? Did they see that? <laughs> was that in the room with them? Why did that happen? Yeah. It can, do, do, can you explain that to me? I I, I couldn't even possibly. Did, like, when you watched that, were you like, what the fuck is that? Because <laughs> it happens yeah, repeatedly. Because, and, and because there's also like no rules no. whatsoever as to how anybody interacts with one another whenever they're in either the real world or in the cartoon world. Like it, it's all just random. It's pure randomness every single moment from moment to moment. Why does Ralph Bakshi's Gabriel Byrne stand and start to become a cartoon? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. Like it, it, none of it, like really like 
it, then it wasn't explained and it, 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 if it was explained they might have switched it in the next scene so it's, it's like, incoherent i don't know yeah yeah i i since you want to move on i'm not going to allow you i'm gonna <laughs> i to <wanna laughs> say something probably deeply problematic mm. and i don't mean this as pervertedly as it's going to sound <laughs> or mm. as sexist as it's going to sound okay when it comes to kim basing her voicing holly hollywood mm-hmm. she's very i mean she's kind of doing marilyn monroe kind of like oh mr president uh, you know like that kind of sure. a thing seemingly knowingly because she references marilyn monroe and she watches marilyn monroe movies i'm thinking how does the cool world get our movies <laughs> when we wouldn't we appear freakish to them but okay whatever sure so she's in kind of intentionally bin pattern after this. Like she's like a pinup basically, right? There's a drawing of like a pinup. She's a male mm-hmm. fantasy and she's got these yeah. giant tits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause she's a Ralph Bakshi sexual fantasy. Of course. Now when she becomes human in the nineties, what she would become and who she would become would actually be Pam Anderson or Anna Nicole Smith or Jenna Jameson. Mm. Because mm. those were the actual cartoon male fantasies. <laughs> the, right, right? We right. turned those women and they turned themselves into cartoon adolescent male fantasies of the 90s. There they are a Ralph Bakshi cartoon. Like Anna Nicole Smith is a Ralph Bakshi crumb character come to life. I fully expect crumb to like sniff Anna Nicole's shoes. You know, like, like, like Harvey Picar, all these, all these weird perverted guys who want to fuck cartoons. They'd want to fuck Pam yeah, Anderson. Yeah. They'd want to fuck Janet Jameson. They would want to want to fuck Anna Nicole Smith because they're cartoonish in their appearance. Right. Fair. At that time, Kim Basinger is too classy to play Hollywood. Yeah. There's like a disconnect. Yeah. The moment she becomes Kim Basinger, I'm like. This doesn't even seem like the same, like the behavior is there, but I'm like, this doesn't seem like the same character at all. She's doesn't have the physical, her boobs aren't big enough. Mm. And I take her too seriously just to be this weirdo fantasy. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I, I would also add to that, that she looks like a, a normal classy that's what I'm trying to get at. Dressing up like like it's Halloween. Yes, that's like what I'm she's trying to dressing get. Dressing up like this. She does not yeah. physically or based on how we know her, right? Embody mm. this kind of weird pubescent yeah. fantasy. Yeah. She's like, this is she's almost like you're almost like, oh God, I can't believe you're doing this. <laughs> like you almost feel once it becomes her, like she does the voice, she does the sexy alluring seducing voice all that sort of stuff like she does that very well i don't want to take away from her performance but then once you see her you're reminded that she's a real actress and you're like i don't want to see this real actress in this movie (laughs) because it's too skeevy you you almost wonder yeah you almost wonder if she like i mean obviously a gig is a gig and i'm sure she got paid well hopefully but like you know, did she want to do something this just skeezy? Like, you know? well, there's like a lot of claims that like the movie didn't end up being what Ralph wanted to be because the studio meddled and interfered and it got too afraid because his ideas got kind of 
borderline pornographic, according to them. And so they trimmed it back and they cut the content. They got rid of a lot of the plot. And then the other thing is that apparently, now what does this actually mean? But the the, rep, the, the rumor at the time that still persists about this movie is, I don't know if she got producing credit, but she was essentially the the biggest star involved in this movie because Brad Pitt, this is yeah. early in his career, right after, this is like right after Thelma Louise. So he has no yeah. swagger whatsoever. And she apparently like threw fits in the set and was called for rewrites and wanted to be this way and wanted it to be that way. And so what you really end up with is what she wanted the movie to be, what back she wanted the movie to be, what the studio wanted the movie to be. And it never gelled at all. They were never on the same page at any point. I think Bakshi at one point quit the production. They had to bring him back. Like it, it, it was a mess of a production and it's a mess of a movie. It is the worst of the week. And I give it a zero out of 10. Zero is harsh. It's harsh, but uh, I hate it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I get it. I definitely get it. I don't, I don't know if I can give anything a zero. Like there's very few movies I would even consider that. Like, I was going to go with a two, but I I would, because of the soundtrack, I want to bump it a little bit. I'm going to go to a three on Dave this one. But yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> but it, it, it's not great. It's definitely not great. And do you regret having watched, yeah. like not seen it all these years? Or you're like, no, nah, it's about the right time to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a movie to just randomly finally get around to on a Sunday at like 8 a.m. or whatever it was I watched it. But, this is a uh, weird 8 a.m. Yeah. Sunday movie. This is a sort can of I thing. Share my, uh, <laughs> can I share my remake idea? I would, yes, but I would just say this is the sort of thing your wife walks in on you watching on a Sunday at 8 a.m. and going, what the <laughs> fuck are, are you into? This, <laughs> this is what this I'm into, trash. baby. <laughs> <laughs> this is my fantasy. All right, go ahead. What's your remake yeah. idea? Okay, so it, it couldn't be any worse than this movie, no. okay? And it's a terrible it's a terrible idea. I I I admit that right up front. I just think it would fit really, really well. An AI remake of Cool World, where it's all just, you know, the the this pervy idea of AI women, you know. And this guy going into AI to go be with his AI fantasy. I thought know? something very literal. And I thought what we would do mm-hmm. is we would feed the script of Cool World and a description to AI. That like rewrite this but make it good. And then you'd uh-huh. film that and yeah. be like, this isn't this is AI's cool world. And then you could be like, that, is it any better? Yeah. That would get a one from you and then yeah. what would happen so, if the ai yeah. cool world the ai art was actually better than ralph Bakshi's art and Ooh. can we also say no offense to him or whatever but he fucking sucks at drawing <laughs> 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 ralph Bakshi, his 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 style is disgusting to look at <laughs> i can't i cannot stand it. i love hand-drawn cell animation i'm a fan of it i believe in it i think it's the most beautiful animation's been done in that style. Mm. His stuff is so garish to look at. I've yeah. never, ever, ever like his biggest like the thing that everybody's like was actually good is Lord of the Rings because he adapted it for kids essentially and animated it, but it's still coherent. And it captures everything it needs to and all this sort of stuff. People really, really enjoy that, and I cannot ever watch it because it is one of the most grotesque looking things I've ever seen. 
Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of his stuff. I do like the style, but I haven't actually loved any of the stuff. You, you, what you want is you want an AI a movie about a guy who wants to fuck big breasted AI girls. I mean, I didn't say I want that. I, I, I said it was an idea. You said you needed it. A probably bad idea. <laughs> I need it. <laughs> I don't want it. I need it. I got a disease. Yeah. There you go. I got crumb disease. Go. <laughs> I <Yeah>. got crumbs. <laughs> oh, boy. Rosen's a closet bakshi. Okay. We figure that out. There you go. All right. Moving on to really truly one of the strangest movies of the 90s but i remember being a really big deal at least for independent and international cinema of course i'm talking about the city of lost children which came out in 1995 and currently has an 80 percent on rotten tomatoes come back i had a thought plus if these children only have nightmares it's perhaps because the evil is in you why not seek the cause of your torment in the molecular study of your own tears who could make me cry well boss we could we could make you cry with laughter <laughs> i am a gnome about your bones to la 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 the man of means i pull up beans boom boom pa the girls in Spain sing my refrains to la la la. I'm such a brain that it's insane. Brum pum pa. I am a gnome, I like a bone to la la la. A man of bees that pull up bees la la. Now it's time for a little bit of French with Madame Raspberry. The City of Lost Children was directed by Marc Carroll, Jean Pierre Genot. And it was written by Marc Carroll, Jean Pierre Genot, Jelise. On Adrian. It's the triumphal return of Ron Perlman, last seen in something. <laughs> it's getting probably it's getting harder and harder for me to do that because I don't track it. So it's literally in my head. Yeah. And I'm at eight hundred yeah. some movies. That's how it should be, though. It's more pure that yeah. way. Yeah. You know. So I'm now I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't know anymore, but I know we've seen him in something. It may have been Alien Resurrection, but my gut says we we've seen him since then. This film was released May 17th, 1995, on a budget of $18 million. The film made $11 million. A dim-witted strongman and cynical French Muppet attempt to rescue a boy from a mad scientist who devours the dreams of children to stave off death. This is the spiritual precursor to Alien Resurrection because most of this cast and crew, including one of the directors, is going to go on to make this movie. This is the movie that gets 20th Century Fox goes, that guy's going to steer the alien franchise i mean on the one hand it tells me that we were making bigger chances taking bigger chances with our franchise in the 90s than we currently are right like if you watched this movie which you now have would you have ever said to yourself in 1995 this guy should do alien No, but I want people that are in charge to make those kinds of calls i'm happy to hear them so now can I personally relate to an aging misanthrope who uses his intellect to dissect the dreams of children in a vain attempt to ward off death? Is our culture hopelessly addicted to nostalgia because we are unable to grieve and lament? Does the American dream inherently still our development as people to complexly mourn the suffering of existence and our rhetorical questions obnoxious? No, to all of the above. Apropos of nothing, I will say, since you mentioned it earlier, why is all AI, 
why is all AI art pattern after this movie? Every piece of AI art <laughs> looks like it is concept art from this one film. Yeah, well, as we know, it's just stealing everything. Is it so, only uh, stealing from the city plus <laughs> children? The entire time I'm like, yeah. the everything, every piece of AI art I've ever seen looks like these people and these sets. And these are weird people. This is a very, very particular set. There's not very many yeah. movies that look like this. And no, all of them are from the nineties. <laughs> you know, I, I gotta say like, I, I, as an artist, yes. I, I'm like in the constant fight back against yeah. AI, but like, maybe it's because it's drawing from things like this. A lot of the times I do actually end up liking a lot of the stuff. I, I hate when they do, you know, Wes Anderson does this yeah, yeah. or, you know, whatever, but, but when it's like, just like a cool trippy, you know, seventies album cover, you know, like when it looks like yeah. that, it's cool. Yeah. You know, do you know how many apes DC has DC comics? No. They got a lot of apes. Yeah. There's so many apes. <laughs> Like, I don't know what era DC Comics went through. They were like, we need another villain. Making an ape. <laughs> Making an but ape. sir, we've got 15 apes already. I don't care. Making another ape. There are so many gorillas. So many gorillas. With, there's multiple gorillas with super intelligence. There's not one gorilla that's super intelligent. There's Monster Mala. There's, there's the psychic ape gorilla. There's, there's, there's several of them, okay? And I think it's Monsieur Mala who is in love with the brain, who's just a brain in a contraption that sometimes has like a German accent and they, they are lovers. They're together, which is very odd, but it is what it mm. is. Grod. Grod is one of the other ones. Gorilla Grod. And the entire time this brain is in this pickle jar in this movie, trying to reason with the villains, Irving, who is a very lovable character. I just keep thinking to myself, could you do, does DC just, it's all fucked, but yeah, sure. But yeah. to match the theme of this movie, which is we're just constantly returning the dreams of children over and over again to feel young, devouring them. And comic books are essentially the dreams of children. Can we just, can we get to the point where DC can just make a movie about like brain and Mala's homosexual relationship? <laughs> <laughs> They got to try something right? else, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, so a brain in a jar that's a mad scientist and his gorilla companion in a interspecies homosexual relationship. Fuck it. Let's just do it. Put it on screen. Yeah. We got to get, we got to start getting weird with this shit. Give me, 50, you got all these gorillas in your pantheon. Give me a movie per gorilla. Yeah. Where's the gorilla grog? I'm down movie? for a gorilla. And what's this guy yeah. up to? What's this director doing these days? What's Mark Caro and Jean-Pierre Jeanette? doing today get their ass out of retirement let's make some dc movies <laughs> jean-pierre Jeanette made something last year but I, I think i think they said it was terrible from what i well read. i've seen alien resurrection so i can believe that but give the guy 400 million dollars yeah. let's see what he can do <laughs> yeah I'm yeah you're doing the, you're I'm doing definitely. the monsieur mala he's french he should be able to get the material you're doing monsieur mala yeah those are some tells of my thoughts about this movie. I love little dead French kids. This movie's full of little dead French kids and kids, little, little, Lots of them. little French kids who wish to be dead. And that's funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> a child wanting to die in the real world is sad. A child who is French in a movie quoting existential philosophy and poetry mm. before being walked off a plank to their death. Yeah. It, to be 
caught by a scuba diving scientist who is has amnesia and has cloned himself a thousand times. <laughs> I, whatever, whatever this, this is, I liked it. This movie's this is a weird this fucking all, movie. This was definitely like I, I really liked the style of it, like we're already talking about. But story wise, this was a little rough. It, it was a little, it was a little hard to follow what was happening a lot of the time, and it's just so all over the place with the like the very surrealist elements and stuff. If like you that, had I, to I, tell somebody, somebody said, walk into your shop, and they go, David, I heard you on that podcast. What what's that movie about? If you had exp- uh, here you go here, here you go if you had explained this to your mom and dad how would you explain this movie to them? There's like a surreal, weird world, and Ron Perlman shows up to help save a little kid from these scientists that are experimenting on him and trying to like steal his brains or something. Did like, you gather that that is Ron Perlman's son? No, I didn't. So not Ron Perlman is a strong man in some mm-hmm. sort of geek show. And they have kidnapped his son. The strong man's name, Ron Perlman's name is One. And he only okay. refers to himself as in the third person. Like, One does this. One does that. He speaks almost mm. as if he has the mind of a child. And gotcha. he, this is his, I believe it's his son. Or it's like an adopted son to him. And that boy has a friend who is the girl. And she is old soul she's wise beyond her years and all this sort of stuff and hardened by being an orphan and 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 like some of her cynicism is played for like comedic effect and and there is this oil rig that's out at sea that has a evil aging scientist on it named croft who is Mm -hmm. stealing the dreams of children to plant them in his own brain so that he doesn't age gotcha See, and I, and yeah. And that, he's kidnapping, he's right gotten right to the right point where it. he's like kidnapping kids <laughs> to steal their dreams. And so this boy, yeah. his son or adopted son and her best friend get kidnapped. And so they team up to go, to go get him. But in the meantime, there's these conjoined twins called the octopus. <laughs> who There's these tick things that drain. There's the guy who, yeah, who has the dog who has trained ticks that then carry little vials uh-huh. that have mind control fluid. That makes people aggressive. The the main scientist from this oil rig who created Croft, because Croft isn't even a person, he's a creation. So one scientist created another scientist, and this gaggle of clones and this little person woman who's very evil. They run this evil scheme, but the main scientist who created it all is gone. He's disappeared. No one mm-hmm. knows where he's at, what he's been. We come to find out that all these other idiot clones are all like multiplicity. They're all the guy from the wheelchair of Alien Resurrection. They're all idiots, basically. Differing types of idiots. Mm-hmm. And they're clones of the original scientist. And that's about as much as I could say because everything else that happens in it is sort of like this surrealistic fairy tale, almost like mm-hmm. a gothic horror tale. Like, there's another version of this movie that, that, if it made slightly more sense, would be Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Right. Sure. Like it has yeah. this sort of magical realism, surrealist gothic fantasy element to it. It is sort of like this primordial fairy tale sort of story about a little, you know, it's it's Wizard of Oz in a way, a little girl lost in the woods trying to find something and some larger than life strong man character is there to by her side. There's all these motifs that are in play when you're watching the movie and you're like, this feels 
familiar and strange and un- unusual at the same time. And even at the time, like Roger Ebert's review of this was like, it's an amazing movie. I have no idea what happened. And I don't know what the plot He's like, I don't know yeah. what the plot of this thing was. And, and it's like, yeah, because that's the most straightforward version of the plot, David, but it also goes in like 10 million other different directions. There's all, there's all this other shit yeah. you and I are leaving out. Uh, yeah. like there's no, for a sure. bunch of characters. There's a bunch of things like the, the whole, uh, let me back it up. What did you make of the sequence of her one tear initiating a chain reaction throughout this entire town that led to the flea and the dog and the thing? That that shit was sick. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there like for the fact this was made in 1995? There's actual some like some of it doesn't hold up at all, but there's some remarkable use of digital effects mm-hmm. that seem like yeah. Like what he's doing in that sequence, it's like not really a one shot, but kind of like a one shot, but you know, it's done sort of digitally. It doesn't feel like we'd really try to start do that until like the matrix sequels. Right. Like it feels right, like the first yeah. time I ever saw that was like matrix reloaded or something. And like this guy yeah. did it seven years earlier in this movie. Yeah. And, and I truly like, I don't think anybody else was doing it. Like how did he come to this conclusion? How did they come to this conclusion of like, Oh, we should do it this like even when all the like the clones when they're all on in a scene together, sometimes like they're right, like oh, like touching each other, they're right. And it's like, how the fuck did they do that in nineteen ninety-five? It's so Yeah, well there's a there's a lot of stuff in here aside from like that sequence, but like we were talking about the visuals, how it feels like they trained AI off of it. Like I feel like this movie, even though I didn't know anything about it going into it. I feel like this is probably like a very influential has movie to be right on like a, a yeah a lot of the sci-fi and action stuff. There's even some Matrix the, the first one years where after. you're like some of the production yeah. design is like the green and the, the the drudgery of it and the water and the machines and so you're like yeah this has to be a highly influential film from a production design standpoint right yeah. Absolutely, I would think. And I, so. I'm right through. So it feels like I've digested this film 20 times over, but I've never seen it. <laughs> that's fair. Maybe that's why I'm so lost on it. <laughs> even though I even though I like appreciate it and respect it, I'm like just lost on, you know, what the hell happens. Because he <laughs> does try to apply like the same kind of visual aesthetic and style to Alien. And we get a very fucking bizarre alien movie in Alien Resurrection. Yeah. Really. Which I don't, I, I don't hate but Alien Resurrection. I just think it's just as far as alien movies go, it's just so far off of what all the other ones are. Yeah. That it makes it a little hard to swallow, but yeah. I think it's an interesting movie though. It's an interesting movie. I'm glad, like you said, that they picked an interesting filmmaker and gave them a, their biggest franchise at that time. where like, do something. But I, yeah. cause that would not happen today. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah. It's just so here's how I feel about this movie. I feel like this is the sort of movie you could watch once and be like, responding to it the way we are. And I, I'd never seen it either and be like, yeah, the visuals and so forth and so on. But I'm a little cold on the plot or a story or whatever. And I also feel like this is another movie. This is a movie that you could revisit another time. And, and for whatever reason, maybe your second, third watch, if you were to give it another chance, it just like could click with you. 
And then yeah, like, this movie fucking rules. Like I love this movie. Like it has that feeling to it of like, there's a chance if I saw this again, it would make as much sense as it's intending to. <laughs> yeah, sure. And I would yeah. really love it. And I think there's like, yeah, there might be higher odds than not. This is some kind of masterpiece. Mm-hmm. But on a first viewing, I can't quite put it in that category. So right. I'm unsure if it really rises to that level or if I'm just too stupid to get it. So I give it a 7.5 out of 10. It's my number two for the week. I really oh. like this one. All right. Yeah, I, I, I give it a five, but I agree with everything you were just saying there. This is definitely the kind of movie that could raise a lot if I ever revisit it because there's a lot there. It's just really hard to kind of parse it all out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be a sellout, but I see ads nonstop for the Cheech and Chong legal weed gummies on X. And I'm just saying, uh-huh. if you can't get a prescription or you're in a place that doesn't allow recreational marijuana, maybe what you do is you want to go on X, click the link for the Cheech and Chong Delta eight marijuana gummies, <laughs> THC gummies, and watch this movie and see what happens to you. I mean, you might get some kind of liver disease go. from that stuff, but, <laughs> but <laughs> God knows what it'll do to you. But if, <laughs> you might actually maybe it'll make sense of this movie. Sure. Speaking of sketchy pharmaceuticals, it's time to talk about a movie where David Rosen, Dr. D, is going to disappoint me. Uh-huh. 1996's Kids in the Hall Brain Candy, which currently has a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not that it isn't ready, sir. It's just that we have so much more testing to do. Dr. Cooper, is it ready or not? The boss of a powerful drug company has just issued orders for a new tranquilizer to be rushed into production with hilarious results in Brain Candy, an audacious, clever, very funny new satire from the comedy troupe known as Kids in the Hall. The film was directed by Kelly Macon. It was written by Norm Hiscock, Bruce McCulloch, David, uh, Kevin McDonald, Mark McKinney, Scott Thompson. You'll notice there's two folks on there who do not get a writing credit who are part of the kids. More on that mm-hmm. later. Trying for turn of... Brendan Fraser, of all people. <laughs> sure. Yeah. If you ever want to see Brendan Fraser carrying animals out of a bathhouse orgy, uh, <laughs> this is the movie for you. Uh, last thing, The Mummy Returns. It was released April 12th, 1996, on a budget of $8 million. It made $2.6 million. A loser scientist cures depression and upsets the balance of human existence, but will anybody care? In 1996 was probably the height of my kids in the hall fandom. There are two mm-hmm. types of people in this world. There were Saturday Night Live people. Well, really three types. Saturday Night Live people, mad TV people, yeah. and kids in the hall people. What about the state people? Because that's the type that I well, was. Let's say four of them. So. I guess five if you count out there for Citizens Brigade. I was a kids <laughs> that's yeah, me too. I, I was a kids in the hall <laughs> person through and through. I, I got, this is one of those things mm-hmm. where I had an older friend who in the 90s called himself and other people called him Bilbo. (laughs) (laughs) This could only happen in the fucking 90s. And in my mind, Bilbo was the coolest guy who ever existed. He's the closest thing to like an older brother that I ever had. He was a, he was my camp counselor at camp. He showed me Monty Python for the first time. He played Black Sabbath for me for the first time. He played, mm. uh, I'd heard Zeppelin from my dad, but some, some other stuff from that era, right? He was that kid who was wearing throwback rock t-shirts from the seventies 
and 60s in the 90s, you know, and, and was wearing bell bottoms and had dyed hair and all this sort of shit, right? And and probably the tail end of a Gen X or maybe, maybe very geriatric millennial. And I think I watched 1941 with him for the first time, which anytime it fucking rained at camp, he would steal away, somehow get his ass to a video store, come back with tapes and movies nice. and be like, hey, psst, got some movies. And he would invite like four or five oh, of yeah. us into some hidden place in the camp with one of those roll, roll away TVs. And we'd be yep. in the dark, yep. hiding, watching comedies. And nice. nothing untoward ever happened. He just introduced me to a bunch of cool shit. And I am forever grateful to him. And he was the coolest guy who ever lived. And in, in retrospect, as an adult, he was just a big, big fucking nerd. But because he was like yeah. five years older than me, he was the coolest guy ever. Sure. And he introduced, sure. he had episodes of Kids in the Hall on tape. And he introduced me to Kids in the Hall because he did the famous Kids in the Hall. I smash your head. I smash you. I smash your head. Introduced me to Kids in the Hall and introduced <laughs> me to Red Dwarf. Mm-hmm. Come to find out, Red Dwarf was on PBS and my dad was already watching it. And Kids in the Hall was on heavy rotation on Comedy Central. So in 1996, mm-hmm. the summer of 1996, I was going to camp to meet up with Bilbo again. And that spring, Kids in the Hall brain candy had come out. And I wasn't allowed to see it. But I asked Bilbo if he saw it. And he told me it was awful. He told me it was one of the worst movies he'd ever seen. He told me he hated it. It was it was nothing like the show. None of the characters from the show were in it. It just had none of the humor. It was a mess of a movie. And I should never watch it. And I've never watched it. I've kept my promise to Bilbo some wow. nearly 30 years, but I broke it for David Rosen. You're my Bilbo wow, now. Wow, amazing. I broke it for <laughs> you. <laughs> you. broke it for you. <laughs> and now I've watched this movie. And this is one of the funniest fucking movies I've seen in some time. When you open your comedy to telling people that life is shit and that real life doesn't have any happy endings. And then you cut to. And soon it will be over. Soon it will be over. And then you cut to Scott Thompson masturbating furiously to gay porn Mm -hmm. as his kids are downstairs. And. Where's your where's your dad, kids? Oh, he's upstairs. Is he looking at gay porn again? Yeah. <laughs> There's you could not make this movie anymore. Doesn't matter that Scott Thompson is himself or actually a gay man, but you couldn't do it. And this this I think we got it wrong in 1996. I think this is a great film. <laughs> I wish I could join. Oh, you, come Jason. on! I, I, I... <laughs> <Get> your boy. <laughs> No, I did you not laugh about it that I love. Yeah, I think I think that was one moment that I did laugh. That's my biggest problem with the movie is that I didn't laugh a lot. I I just didn't laugh that much during Flipper Babies. I for come on, I don't know. Well, as long as as long as there's not any Flipper Babies, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there have been one or two Flipper Babies. Cut away, and then I, down the hallway. And it was like, that's only a couple flipper baby. <laughs> I will tell you the funniest part of the entire movie to me. We invented this pill for real depression, not because you missed the bus or you don't look good in that yellow hat. And that lady is standing there with a the yellow hat, just like, yes, you know, just, right. just looks like, are you talking about me? That, that, that was my biggest laugh of the movie. What but, about the prolonged yeah, I, suicide I, of his dad? 
Yeah. Oh, oh, come on. I, I wish it was funnier. I, I love the idea of it too, of the like the whole takedown of pharmaceuticals. And I mean, it's obviously very prescient of where we are now. And like, you know, that's like everything yes. nowadays. And so like it, it it probably would have done better if it came out now, but I just wish it was funnier. It bugged me how much I didn't laugh during this movie. When he's at a cocktail party and the first person they introduce him, he's completely sold out. Because really what this is, is it's almost like, what if the kids in the hall made the jerk? Yeah. Kind of like that. that portion of the jerk where he invents the thing and becomes rich and becomes a jerk. And da, 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 da. It's like that. Yeah. But that's the whole movie. What if the scientist sort of like sold out his ethics and morals at a, starting off out of fear for his job and then got seduced by the power and the money and the influence and all this sort of stuff and threw everybody's life under the bus and then we are we're jumping around to all these other characters who are taking this drug and their experience and and it seems like everything's wonderful and it's you know transforming lives and everything goes tits up at some point all of this is being overseen by lauren michaels <laughs> before <laughs> dr evil because yeah. everybody had lauren michaels impression and famously dr evil is what's his face doing dana carvey's lauren michaels impression he stole it from dana carvey oh yeah yeah that's right yeah mark mckinney is the one who he was the canadian guy who did the lauren michaels and so that's the impression and so the boss in the movie is essentially lauren michaels and he's just playing lauren michaels I, that to me was funny the the they have him go all the way up to that fucking tower to be like what color should it be and he's like well you know with with its pre-synthesized form it's a real it's a, like a pastel blue, and they're like, orange it is. They had already just like, it gets corporate America so right. Yeah. And it gets idiot billionaires. We are living in the throes mm. of idiot billionaires and idiot politicians, the likes of which we have not seen since before the invention of the guillotine. And yeah. <laughs> this movie nails it. This mm. movie nails what these people are actually like. Are you telling me that? Would it surprise you if Elon Musk came out with stummies? No, not one bit. <laughs> stummies. <laughs> right? Gleamax? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then the guy ends up getting a fucking bird in his eye. Just <laughs> like, I was driving in my $65,000 car <laughs> and a bird crashed into my window. Suddenly came to me. <laughs> I, you know, what? You the, know what? what the, the name for the drug? The, no, the bird. Like, there's so much. <laughs> It's it's yeah. a funny movie. The thing is, the thing is, all these sketch comedy, like the stay Stella, Upright Citizens Brigade, Kids in the Hall, all this was all stuff I used to watch with friends yes. all the time. I feel like if I watched this movie with you, I would have had a much better time with you just cracking up the whole time because obviously you were. And I probably would have like that would have rubbed off. I wasn't cracking up the entire time. time. But when I was when I was laughing, it got genuine laughs. And I don't laugh at comedies. Famously, Uh I watch a comedy. I could watch a hundred comedies, and I only want laugh at probably five of them. And and most Mm -hmm. of the time, it's just more of an acknowledgement of sort of like, huh, that's funny, like that. Yeah, I laugh in my real life, but I don't laugh at stuff in movies. So for you to get a Mm -hmm. genuine laugh out of me out of a movie. It's like you've hit a spot. The kid has no name. (laughs) The kid's name is Cancer Boy. Hello. Hi, doctor. I'm Cancer Boy. And what would you like to say to the doctor? 
I'd like to thank you for your marvelous drug. Oh, are you on it, Cancer Boy? No, there is no hope for me. But my parents are on it, though. They were so very low, not just because of me, but because my brother was born with his heart on the outside of his body. Is that a fact? Yeah. Nice to make your acquaintance. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's okay. My marrow is just low. Like, <laughs> that's insane. And he's so happy just to be there. And, <laughs> and he goes to shake the kid's hand. They go, ow. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, don't be sorry. My marrow's just low. <laughs> it's, 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 did you see that? Did you see that? The doctor in me? Did the mock doctor in me? Did you see? Did you see? And it's like, I'm sorry, but like in 1995, I think the funniest person on the planet was Bruce McCullough, who plays cancer boy that guy the two people who made me laugh the most the only person who could maybe edge him out in 1985 to me was kevin meany for whatever reason i thought kevin meany mm-hmm. was the funniest fucking guy but he was edged out anything bruce mcculloch was in any sketch of kids in the hall anything he did for the show he was on snl for a while most of these guys wrote for snl too at least for short stints i just thought it was the funniest thing in the world and I love the kids in the hall revival series. It wasn't, it got real kind of like the last couple of series of the original kids in the hall. It got more sort of like filmic and cinematic and sort of like these long pieces that yeah. weren't necessarily sketches and weren't even necessarily funny, but like, or tending to be, or just sort of odd, but, but right. I did enjoy that. And this movie is somewhere in the middle. It, it does it hang together as a narrative. Nah, not really. But, but it, it, I avoid this movie for so long and maybe it's only funny to me because I'm, because I'm such, was such a fan of theirs and it's the first new thing I've seen from them or because it's like, oh my God, they made this and it, I agree with you. It almost feels more relevant now, like, but like, if you yeah. made this now, you almost couldn't because people be like, well, it's so obvious, you know, right? right what, what an yeah. obvious movie, but yeah. it's like. Yeah, but they made this in 1995 or 1996. So were you ever a fan of the show, Kids in the Hall? They were always, uh, any of it that I saw, like if I was at a friend's house or something and they put it on, it was always funny, but I never like really got deep into them. I always liked all those other sketch shows. The Ben Stiller show was one of my favorites, you know. I said UCB, Stranger with Candy, you know, like any any of that kind of like, even The Edge. Do you remember The Edge? I, you I never sat the there edge, and watched but, uh, 39 Helens agree. And it was just a group of women in a field <laughs> in Canada. And they would say some sort of thing. Oh, yeah. I remember They'd say that. some random thing. Yeah. And they'd be like, 39 Helens agree. And it, <laughs> that was it. That was the bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, like there are certain things that hit you at a certain age that become so formative to who you are. And I think Kids in the yeah, Hall is sure. like so formative. Like my sense of humor it was defined by probably Ghostbusters and Kids in the Hall. Yeah, that's the state for me. The yeah. state was that. Like that was my absolute favorite. Yeah. So it was this is the equivalent of like if the state had made a movie that was a massive flop and was yeah. a stain on their legacy. The ten. 
I mean, that's my one of my favorite movies okay. of all time. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you know, you have never seen it. That was their follow up to Wild American Summer. It's horrible. It's Ten. Most people say so, but it's incredible. It's I've seen you give a lot of bad movies high, high score. You're absolutely you right. You couldn't find I, anything in Brain Candy that you enjoyed? No, there were, I, I said I loved the the idea of it. Like I really, really thought it was a, a really great idea to make something where, where somebody like rises through the pharmaceutical industry off of this, you know, depression medication and 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 to build it around something like that is like I think pretty genius. And there were a few good laughs. Scott there Thompson's just, latent homosexuality at the therapist didn't make you laugh at all. Yeah, Part of the joke is that Scott bit. Thompson was probably the single most out comedian, yeah, in the world, and was yeah. most famous for playing a character pre Kids in the Hall that he brought to Kids in the Hall, which is like Buddy Guy, I think was the character's name, which was. The old yeah. school sort of very, you could not do it. In fact, he's gotten almost canceled for doing it, <laughs> which is sort of so strange. But he, it was like the sort of burlesque, like he'd sit on a bar stool and just like talk shit as a gay man with a cigarette. And that's just gotten him into a lot of trouble. So he's, <laughs> but that he was doing it yeah. 50 years ago. Right. And so the idea right, that like right. they finally make a movie and, and he would kind of do a version of this this character in the show too. They do. They finally make a movie, and he plays the most butch, all like all. The, oh yeah, you know the mustache. <laughs> Is that yeah. there's sort of an I, implicit I, joke there? It's funny that like fans of the show didn't like it in nineteen. No, they didn't. That's because, you're right. Like, fans hated this movie. Yeah. Yes. It's so strange because it does seem like something if you missed it and then came around to it, like th there is a little bit of a reassessment of this movie, I feel yeah. like in the comedy community. And so it kind of makes sense that you ended up liking it. And I'm glad, I'm really glad you did because man, if there was some like little piece of something from, you know, the state that I didn't ever get to see from back. Actually, I've never gotten to see their CBS special. So one day I'll, somehow be able to see that when they were supposed to make the jump jump to cbs and i'm sure i'm just gonna absolutely love it yeah. you know because it's this thing it's like a holy grail you know well bilbo wherever you are i broke our promise but I, <laughs> it was worth it i sold out yeah it was worth it to get yeah. some entertainment i give this an eight out of ten it's my number one for the week i'm putting it on the short list kids in the hall brain candy give it a second watch try it out if you go into it, understand it's completely fucking ramshackle <laughs> and there's no like the whole like i'm gay he's gay and they're doing the whole parade and like gay 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 <laughs> you're not doing that anymore you cannot make this movie anymore no of course yeah not, not at all. and then they <laughs> they do like the bubsby berkeley like they go down but they're on the street and then they come up and he's he's in a <laughs> like a wrestling lead <laughs> Jokes like, oh god bless Scott ridiculous. Thompson. i love that guy <clears throat> okay what was your score what's your rank i will give it a four and it's in fourth place for me all right it's time for a recap coming in dead last is cool world zero to ten coming at number four the dark backward two out of ten coming in at number three with no particular score Meet the Hollowheads. I guess if I had to give it a score, it'd probably be like, I'd say five out of ten, I guess. <laughs> uh, coming to number two is The City of Lost Children. 
maybe one of the single most influential pieces of visual artistry of the last 25 years. And neither one of us have seen it directly, but we've certainly seen its influence come to find out very strange, but maybe a masterpiece 7.5 out of 10 (laughs) and kids of the hall brain candy. (laughs) I'm so glad you loved it. I don't love it, but I did. I did. I don't think it's bad. I give it an eight out of 10. I will say like the last 20 minutes, it really just kind of, loses the plot it really falls apart at the end it needs a stronger ending <laughs> yeah perhaps yeah. all right so yeah. what, what's your recap okay fifth place cool world i gave it a four a little higher than you but uh, you know fifth place for sure fourth place brain candy with also a four third place the city of lost children with a five but like we said i think i might like it better if i ever get around to rewatching it second place meet the hollow heads with a seven i Freaking weird movie. My kind of weird. I liked it. And number one, The Dark Backward, a new favorite, nine from me. I love this movie. On our very next episode, we'll be ranking the films of Peter Himes, which includes 1981's Outland, 1984's 2010, The Year We Made Contact, 1986's Running Scared, 1994's Time Cop, 1997's The Relic. All right, David, I won't do the bit I said I was going to do. Where can we find you on the internet? Sure. You can find Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Maybe join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And you can check out my music, ByDavidRosen.com. I just recently released a horror film score for a film called Blind Malice. Uh, That's on, of course, all the Spotify's and the Apple Music's and all those kinds of places. And check out my website, ByDavidRosen.com. And David, since you're such a big fan of content and creating more and more and more content... We're about to create some more Ooh, content for our patrons over at patreon.com slash binge movies. If you like David Rosen and you want to find out which of these films he would recommend you watch some weird Sunday morning at 8 a.m., become a patron over at patreon.com slash binge movies. All right, until next time, binge on. Binge on.